Hello and welcome to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we've reached number one, the pinnacle, the most thrilling thing you've ever seen. And that apparently is Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Anthony Perkins and some ladies and a gentleman from 1960. All right. You've seen this movie before, right? I've seen this movie, um, last time I actually saw the film entirely was a number of years ago, probably a decade. I've seen certain parts of it extensively over and over again. Re, 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 that part? Yes, because, <laughs> well, it's a masterpiece of filmmaking. Yeah. It's horrifying, but it's a masterpiece of filmmaking, and it's one of the most analyzed three minutes in any film ever. Mm. So if you're sitting in a film editing class, if yeah. you're sitting in a directing class, you're going to be shown that scene as an example of, I, I think it, it has over 70 camera setups for a three-minute scene. That's wild. How long And there's three different actresses involved in it. It right. took several weeks, from what I understand. So, yeah, it, it was a, it's, it's a remarkable piece of filmmaking. So I've seen that scene so many times yeah. and had it analyzed for me. But other than that, yeah, no, this I agree this is, if it's not the most thrilling film ever made, in terms of how they define a thriller, it certainly is very far up the list. Well, here's the problem. They don't define the thriller. So what's your history with it? I've seen it one other time. Like you said, I've Mm -hmm. seen pieces of it many, 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 many times. I have seen the original movie one time. Uh, I think it was about a decade, decade Mm. and a half ago, probably with you. Uh, And I enjoyed it. I didn't remember the pacing of it when we watched it this time. Right. I think I had the sort of... There's this sort of, uh, like, cultural idea that Marion Crane, the J- Janet Lee's character, dies, like, 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And it's, like, an hour. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this movie is not weighted in the way that I think popular culture would have you believe. When Scream yes. was out, Drew Barrymore was referred to as the... The Janet Lee of the piece. <laughs> right. Uh, because she was the bigger star who yeah. shows up and dies... But she dies again in the first 10 minutes yeah, of the film. Yeah, she dies very quickly. She does not die Because as the far. whole thing is satire. Right. Three quarters of the way through the film, Janet Lee is killed. and It's about half. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I paused it to look. It's atypical of Hitchcock's work at the time. He was making films like the other films we've seen on this list, which were sort of big-budgeted, glossy films with big stars on them and a lot of money behind them. And there was this book that was bought for, I think, under $6,000. Oh. And the entire production was done on the cheap because the the, uh, the company supporting Hitchcock did not want to make this film. Mm. Uh, the original Robert Bloch novel was inspired by Ed Gein, who lived relatively close to where Robert Bloch was mm. at the time. And the story kind of got stuck in his imagination. Ed Gein was an actual serial killer who was did horrible things that we don't need to go into. I don't know that we can call him a serial killer. We know he was responsible for two deaths, but he captured the public's imagination mm-hmm. and, like, Buffalo Bill in, in Silence of the Lamb is based off of him obliquely. Mm-hmm. This character is based off of him obliquely. He's probably the basis for 15 well, because movie characters. His, his crimes are so heinous that it's, it's difficult to... Um, uh, yeah, he gets the, that kind of, especially when these murders were committed, uh, it kind of got into the public's imagination. 
And so he's cast a very long shadow for such a small, otherwise insignificant person. I've listened to an audio. Uh, well, I've read the book, technically, I guess. Um, and it's, it's different. Norman Bates is a middle-aged man. Who's... Yeah, it's Anthony Perkins. Right, he could literally be any age. Like you could tell me he was nineteen. Right, you could tell me he was in his late thirties, and I'd be like, "Sure, he's right. very slight, and the, his timidity gives him a youthful well, air, regardless of." That's the difference. The book he he looks like the kind of person that you should get sort of warning bells in your head about. See, that's not not work in for an a intimidating movie. way, but mm-hmm. in a way that he. There's just something creepy about Norman Bates. And the story itself was really, it's taken, a lot of it's taken from his point of view. So it, although there's a lot of, I don't know how much should we say about it. Well, after all this time, we can. Go ahead. We're gonna, first right. of all, we're going to spoil the hell out of the movie. So okay. please feel free to compare and contrast. Um, he, there's a lot of sort of conversation between him and his mom. Uh, and you don't realize, of course, as you're supposed to, it, it, it sort of, Francois Truffaut felt that the book sort of cheated by having these conversations, when in truth, the better perspective to sort of keep the mystery that Mrs. Bates was still alive was done by Hitchcock. Right, okay. So oh. you kind of knew. Right. Well, For, well. no, he cheated. When I say he cheated, it means that he keeps treating her like a real character. Oh, got you. Until well, the very end be... when you find out that it's all inside of his head. And there's other differences. He's not likable, necessarily. Right. Uh, the shower scene ends with him literally decapitating. That definitely doesn't happen. Right. I would argue, too, from the book, if it's from his point of view, uh-huh. those conversations are real. He is talking to somebody else. So that's not a cheat, necessarily, in mm-hmm. a first-person story. Um, my big problem was the name of the book slash movie is psycho right which to me feels like the biggest possible spoiler well, the impression that you're supposed to get and we were discussing this when we were watching the movies yeah. that the mom was the psycho but the other things that got changed was that sam uh loomis who's it was funny we we were um we were watching the movie mm-hmm. i didn't catch his whole name at the at at a certain point, he is writing her a letter. He's writing Marion a letter, I believe. Mm-hmm. His stationery says, from the desk of Sam Loomis. And I was like, wait, stop. What did that say? And I was like, we, we had to go back. Is the doctor at Halloween named after this dude? And you're like, oh, maybe. And then I Googled it real quick. And yes, yeah, he is. And then there's fan, th- fan theories that they're related. We don't need Which to go into all of that. That would be fun. Uh, but Sam Loomis in the book... Uh, he and Lila Crane fall into a relationship. Because if he can't have one sister, he'll take the other? Well, that's why no, um, <laughs> the screenwriter, Joseph Stepano, who's really important to people who like science fiction or horror because he created The Outer Limits mm. and ca- carried a lot of that sort of uh, neo-noir gothic atmosphere mm-hmm. to, uh, although it was closer to the original noir. Um, but anyhow... Uh, he and Hitchcock both felt that was sort of cheapening that relationship right. he originally had with Marion. So, does the book take over take place over a much longer period of time? Because this movie takes place over basically a weekend, a well, weekend, it, like it's, it's a week takes and a half. It from different points of view. So the thing is that when you're looking at it, you're not sure how much time has taken place. You know that the sisters disappeared, 
And so it, it probably is a, a comparative amount of time. Yeah, then that's way too fast even. Like, if you're going to fall for your missing girlfriend's sister, exactly. I'm going to need it to take more than a week. And really, they weren't around each other for a week. I mean, unless the entire time they were having a relationship, Lila knew him and they were, like, right, which into each other is, on the side. Is, uh, that feels... The weird. very beginning of the film is... Sam and uh, Marion yeah. in a hotel room, and she's yeah. trying to finagle him into coming to dinner and meeting like a, an actual couple. Yeah. She, so, she just wants real dates, and she, she wants so, to marry him. Right. They've been keeping on the secret uh, for a long time, pending his divorce. Oh, okay. That's right. I was like, I didn't get that sense, but because I think more than necessarily... Um, more than necessarily wanting to go public, I think she just didn't want to always be meeting in hotel rooms right. and having their entire relationship be based on when's the next time we're going to have sex. Because that's mm. fun for a while until it isn't. Uh, but, and also, like, they're in Phoenix when the movie starts. Mm -hmm. She lives in Phoenix. I presume her sister, yeah, her, she and her sister live together, right? In Phoenix. He is from a small town in California, you guys could probably go out to dinner in Phoenix. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, nobody here knows you. And also, he's getting it. Like, he's legitimately getting a divorce, not just like, I plan to get a divorce, well, this, baby. Don't worry. This is, um, and again, for viewers now, it must be really hard to understand how bad things were before a no-fault divorce. I guess that's true. And a lot of uh, the stuff that Robert Block later on, he never met Alfred Hitchcock when Hitchcock purchased the rights to Psycho, and he sold it not knowing he was selling it to Hitchcock. I'd sell, probably sell it for way more. If he right, exactly, <laughs> which is the reason why Hitchcock didn't have his name attached to it. And when it was purchased, Joseph Stepano wrote the screenplay, and Block just saw this as another of a string of sort of pot boilers. Right. Black himself was a writer who wrote a lot of... Mm -hmm. He was a correspondent to H.P. Lovecraft and other writers as a very young man. And so he wrote a lot of uh, kind of like pot boilers and thrillers. P pulpy stuff. Things right. that you pick up in an airport. So he was writing another one of those, not realizing that it would somehow strike a chord with people. Right. Even an altered version of that. And on the strength of that, he went on from there and also Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, which is another story he wrote about a serial killer, right. is that uh, he was able to write things like The Skull yeah. and Torture Garden, a bunch of films that I loved as a kid. And he but was What's a, The House the house, the house, house About Blood? The House uh, That Dripped Blood? That's yeah, one. that's the one. Yeah. The House That Dripped Blood. Yeah. That was really Heck fun of a too. title. <laughs> and so, yeah, he, he's, uh, he was really good at that kind of thing. But this, to him, he was writing another one like that. So right. it might not have been thought out. As clearly as if he knew he was making the, the the work that would catapult him into being a recognized name, where Robert Block, author of Psycho, right? Yeah. But um, but yeah, the the film itself, nobody wanted to shoot this, so Hitchcock shot it with his own money for under a million dollars. Yeah, eight hundred and six thousand, it looked like. A, in black and white, yeah. using the same crew that shot his weekly television program. That's right, because sometimes. <laughs> This is just, mm -hmm. this is sad youth talking, even though I'm in my 40s. Sometimes when I see that a movie's in black and white, I don't know if all of the other movies at the time were also in black and white, because I kind of forget that it was like 
1937 or whatever. Because mm. <laughs> I got to think back and go, okay, 1939 was the year with all the big color movies. Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind. Like, it was a right. big year for color movies. So anything after 1939 could have been in color. But, like, yeah, when I see well, something was, like this, I'm like... There were silent films. Oh, that's true. But it was such an expensive process. Yeah. It that, certainly wasn't going to be done for 806000 Well, maybe 30s money. Phantom of the Opera has the, the ball scene, if you remember, is in color. And the rest of it, that which was a silent film, oh, that's goes right. to black and white. But they wanted to you know, have a color scene to show how opulent the costumes that's were. That's right. Oh, yeah. Because there is something where your costume designer is like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the great job I did that nobody will ever see. Because you won't even put this shit on the poster. If you do take a photo and put it on the poster, you're going to jack up all of the mm-hmm. primary colors and yeah. you're not going to be able to see, you know, what... Like, I'm looking at the the movie poster for this and it is, like, bright blue and yellow. A wild choice. And it's mostly Janet Lee in a bra, so... No, you're you know marketing what? to She worked very hard to maintain that figure, so... I'm sure. That's... Anything else we want to talk about? The music is by Bernard Herrmann. It's yes. famous music. Right. And one of the more interesting things about this film, from the very beginning, Hitchcock wanted to establish some sympathy with Norman Bates. He felt yeah. that was the way to go. For sure. So the only person he wanted was Anthony Perkins. And I remember the first time that you saw it actually was with our old roommate, Kimberly. Yeah. And I warned her, you're going to get a crush on him. Oh, then that was the time that I right. saw it. So it was over 20 years ago. Yeah, you're going to develop a weird crush on him. Just don't <laughs> don't get too attached. And she looked at me weird like, what do you mean? Yeah, because we watched The Birds as, uh, the first right. time with her too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but no, he's very he's sweet. Very vulnerable. Isn't. It's like people, the, the general consensus is up until you know what he's capable of, you want to protect him from yeah. his mom. And a, a, a lot of it too is like, he's very... Angular. He's almost like a, like a real life Jack Skellington. He's mm-hmm. very, thin. he may not actually be that thin. He may be wearing oversized clothes or whatever. But he looks like he's a bird, and he might break if you're not careful. Well, that's kind of the quality that he wanted to get. He right. wanted to get something fragile. Also, this really changed the direction of his career because he was a, kind of like a, a teen idol. Yeah, I can he see was that. the Timothy Chalamet of his time. <laughs> that feels. Perfectly correct. Right. Sorry. Which is, yeah, we, I want to talk very, very briefly mm-hmm. about the Gus Van Sant remake. The completely aimless. Why do you need to do a shot by shot remake of anything? Why mm-hmm. don't you just have people watch the original film? Right. But the thing, like, I never saw it. I know mm-hmm. two things about it. One, Vince Vaughn was horribly cast. Vince Vaughn, for that role, for the role of Norman Bates, makes right. zero sense. Vince Vaughn is a six foot five, two hundred and ten pound hulk of a man. No woman's going to be like, please come into my fucking hotel room. This is fine. No. And also, right. you're not going to be able, I don't know how you hide as a filmmaker. How big Mrs. Bates would have to right. be. Right, Mrs. Bates was a, she was a kaiju, is what she is. Just like She's enormous. The wig adds some. Like, uh-huh. this is a six foot six tall woman? Like, right. that's not going to work. Or you're going to try and tell me that Vince Vaughn is smaller, in which case, 
Hire no, somebody who's when, not Vince Vaughn. When uh, this, that was years and years ago, and uh, I remember Stephanie, who I was married to at the time. I think it was two thousand and eight. Yeah, yeah, we would have were having this ongoing conversation, saying the natural choice would have been Edward Norton. Yeah, and at now, the time. What did but I he'd say? done so many yeah. crazy parts by then. Between Primal Fear and he did, he didn't want to keep revisiting that yeah. kind of character. Who was the person that I said? It wasn't Chalamet. No, although like it's, that, that's the person who would come to mind as the equivalent. You know, you know who else could have done it before he passed as Anton Yelchin? Yes. Um, he would have been very good, but that is not been. who I said. Oh, I'm so mad. I wish I had written it down. Because I was like, oh, you know who I get to I have mm. play this now is insert person here because I can't remember what it was. If I, In the middle of this podcast, I'm just going to say a name. <laughs> right. That's who it was. Uh, oh, I wanted to go back to Ed Gein, too, and say um, uh, not only Norman Bates and Buffalo Bill, but also Leatherface and Garland Green from Con Air. Oh, okay. Um, the, I believe that's Buscemi's character. Right. Uh, also come from him. And, yeah, his thing was, in this, he killed two people, um, but he, he robbed a bunch of graves and did things with the bodies. That's kind of the yeah yeah well that's that's part of the reason why i think that uh producers uh, uh, that were working with uh hitchcock originally did not want to produce this because that was also very much in the consciousness and mm -hmm. it was they were aware of the connection between the fictional norman bates and the actual ed Gein. yeah so they were really horrified by the implications particularly with the original shower scene yeah um right if what it had it, gone on right yeah. Yeah, they're not going to put a decapitation in this movie. Like, mm -hmm. they're just, they're, yeah. But no, what now, he did was shocking enough. In yes. Itself. But the other thing is, it gives it away a little in a way where mm -hmm. an old woman is not going to have the strength, exactly. I don't think, in that setting mm -hmm. to decapitate somebody. If you gave, if you, if she killed her and then sawed off her head, that mm -hmm. would be one thing. But the audiences don't want to see that. Right. Like, that's. But, like, she's not going to just come in and hack, hack, hack. And it's hard to decapitate somebody. The spine is there. And yeah. it doesn't want to be cut in half. So, um, yeah, that that would have been a really big giveaway. An hour before you want right. the giveaway to be to, to happen. Yeah, the, the, there were changes I, made for to, to preserve the initial, the mystery, which was, who is the psycho? Yeah, um, I guess. And there was, when I was looking, or I was doing... Um, my research this morning, I watched a fan reaction video uh, from two young people who were seeing it for the first time. Oh, interesting. Okay. And this young woman involved is the first time she's seen a black and white film. This is not uncommon for right. younger people. And it's amazing to me that they're going like, Bates? Bates Motel? Wait, that was a TV show, wasn't it? Is that the same? And they, they just couldn't make the connections because I keep forgetting how old I am and how young everyone else is. They were so much fun watching this film. Like they had no idea what was coming, and all the it was very much like watching. That's it. That's nice because they right. haven't been spoiled by cultural osmosis either. It was like watching it with people for the first time in right. 1960. Because we will never. We talked about uh, with The Exorcist. We'll never be able to recover the the kind of shock and horror and disgust that people yeah. felt when they first saw that. I mean, it still is disgusting and it still is horrible, but when you hear stories about people throwing up in the movie theater aisles and, you know, fainting or 
having to go to therapy into therapy because of that film, it's hard to understand. Yeah. And I think that um, there's going to be a generation of people who will be asking their parents about what was this about people going to therapy because they couldn't get to the planet they saw in uh, Avatar. Oh, in Avatar, yeah. That, that actually caused issues as yeah. well. This film scared the hell out of people. Yeah. And to look at two people who have never seen this film had no idea about all the weird twists that happened in it. Yeah. Um, it was really fun. It's like, oh, God, this is great. This is like what it must have been like going, wait, what the hell? She's dead? Wait, what? where does the movie go now? Yeah. I also... This is the second movie in the last five mm-hmm. where we have to have a transvestite, transsexual, transgender conversation. Mm, right. Uh, there is a coda, which you don't like. We right. About. And we're going to talk about that when we get to it, because they did, which was really amazing to me. Yeah, which where there's a doctor who's like, that's not what has happened. Right. <laughs> Just shut it down. Uh, so we've now granted there's an intent versus, mm-hmm. you know, effect thing that I... I not sure about. I just looked up because I was like, I was looking at the awards mm-hmm. um, for the movie, and Perkins is not listed as a best actor nominee even. And I was uh, like, what the fuck was going on that year? So I just brought up the the list of nominees. It was Spencer Tracy and in Inherit the Wind, Lawrence Olivier and the Entertainer, Jack Lemon in the Apartment, Trevor Howard and Sons and Lovers. And the winner was Burt, La- Burt Lancaster and Elmer Gantry. Okay. It was a tough fucking year. <laughs> I, I think that Anthony Perkins' performance in this film was amazing. I, I agree with you. And I think that he was worth every... Because he actually got paid much more than... Um, than Janet Leigh. Janet Leigh, who was the established star in the film. But she was coming in to do the part and couldn't tell anybody about the script. Hitchcock was very secretive about the script and sort of let her know, oh, yes, there's going to be a big twist in the film and, you know, it's right. going to involve you getting killed. Uh, but she did it at a of considerable break to her salary just because she wanted to work with she Hitchcock. She wanted to do it, okay. And we mentioned that before, that Janet Lee is one of the smartest actresses during the Golden Age. Right. Because she saw a director that she wanted to work with, and she's like, I don't care if I have to take a cut in salary. I want to work with Hitchcock. I want to work with Orson Welles. Right. I want to work with John Frankenheimer. But also, y'all pay this woman what she is owed. Right. Like, I also am like, well, yeah, she's also a woman in 1960 on a film set. She's not going to make as much as men, period, end of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that would not be the case, but it's still the case mm-hmm. in a lot of places. I mean, there's stuff, there's talk around the pay for the actresses in the color purple right. like now today mm-hmm. so it's still but if she wants to say hey i'll take an l on this my house is paid for i right. want to work with him once again y'all especially if you're working with a famous uh director get some shit on well, the back and... all the actresses from that period of time who or maybe i'll remember that more than you would who just were really good but could not break through and have a film that you remembered. Yeah. Right? Whereas Janet Lee was in three of the thrillers that we watched. Right. And she was, yeah, she was working. Right. She was working, but she was but working. But once again, get 100, right. get, get 1% on the back end. That would have made her fifty thousand or $50,000. Mm-hmm. This movie made $50 million. Right. 
problem. I don't but think anybody expected that. That was completely out of. And the that was probably it. Was it had to be word of mouth. Mm -hmm. It wasn't advertising. Well, but also, as as we'll get into, I'm sure the film is really constructed in such a unique way that I am absolutely sure it was word of mouth where people are like, I'm not. And and you've got to go see this. Just go see. Back it. then, you could do something like. And it wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't one of William Castle gimmicks. Right. William Castle's gimmicks, which is you know the the shock, uh, the, the buzzer, something. the buzzers in your theater, and the the you know skeleton that flies out from behind the screen. No, but there was uh, uh, a disclaimer sort of on the posters and on the advertisements over radio and television, saying we're not going to allow you in after the first fifteen minutes of this movie. Yeah. You don't. That's right. You, 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 and the joke was that Hitchcock was saying, well, I don't care if you're the Queen of England or the President of the United States, you are not getting to this theater after the first 15 minutes. Right. And Which they really should do, just generally. Right. Even if the first 15 minutes has nothing to do with it, nobody wants to watch your ass walk in. Yeah. Fucking with your cell phone flashlight uh, on bright as hell. That's... Looking for your fucking... But like in this case, you just sort of felt like... I'm an old lady. If you are... We can't let you in because this movie will take such turns. Yeah. And I think that's really what got it going. People were yeah, able to keep their mouths shut. if you're 15 minutes in, you don't know who Sam Loomis is. Right. You don't know why she's doing what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. What a mess. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, but if you're the queen or the president, they're starting that movie over for you. Let's be real. <laughs> Everybody else gets to watch the first 15 minutes <laughs> again. Uh, you want to get into the yeah. plot of this movie? Uh, Norm Bates is a killer. <laughs> that end. Kiss, kiss, eh? Um Oh, no. He is a psycho killer. <laughs> we don't love the term psycho either. But that was that was my first thing. I was like, we're going to just straight up call this movie Psycho? I bet there's a, I bet there's a psycho in it. I bet somebody dies. Oh, somebody dies. Only one person. No. On screen. Two. Oh, yeah, that's right. We don't see him die, do we? We see uh, Ar Arbogast. We do see him die? Yeah. I feel like we... He falls down the staircase. He falls down the stairs, that's right. He jumps on him and just keeps just going. Steps, 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 steps. Right. I just remember him watching the car sink into the... That's the other thing about this place. It has the deepest swamp pool thing. Right. He just puts car after car on this thing, and I'm just like... And we know that off screen, we find out later on that there are several missing young women. That, no, yes, but that, we only right, see... We only see the yeah. two. So, Friday afternoon one day, Marion Crane, Janet Lee, Marion Crane, she is making out with her boyfriend in a hotel, wearing not very much. Neither is he. No, I understand. And, and Neither is that. There one. is John Gavin, okay, Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome, right? Bet Hitchcock um, hated him. <laughs> well, he got along with him because he's only used in a couple of scenes of this movie. Right, he is. He's not there um, very much. And he... Uh, yeah, it's really funny. Wound up becoming the ambassador to Mexico for the U.S. Which people become ambassadors? Right. It doesn't it's for a lot of really places. Funny. It doesn't take and skill he, or international knowledge. He kind of soured on acting when he lost the part of James Bond. For those of you who don't know him, he really <laughs> he he could have he, he really yeah he did. He's he, a he James Bond guy. Superman looking motherfucker. Right, he is. Uh, so she the, she wants to get married. He says I'm too poor. They're going to get together later. She goes back to work. She works But for... he does agree before that that he wants to, like... He, they want, right, he wants he, to be with her. At first, it's just like he wants to, you know, 
carnal relations. I don't know. Hook up is fine. You can talk like a human being. No, just, I just remember Mrs. Bates later. I had refused to talk about disgusting things because they disgust me. That is a very good line. I want to know if that was in the book. But um, the uh, yeah, he he seems to be really interested in her physically, but then she talks to him about. I, I want to have a real relationship. You want to yeah. come over for dinner and meet my sister? Oh, me! Oh, just meet her. Okay. And and so that's uh, so he agrees to that. He agrees to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he he you knows she says something wrong. Why well, can't we get married? And he's like, because I'm poor. Right. You have to live in the like little apartment over my store. Or whatever. Right. He like, lives not... in a, uh, above a hardware store, and he's going through a divorce. And I think his wife is trying to. Yeah, you know, it's a mess. And she's for like, more I don't care. I just want to be with you, but. She goes back to work. She's a little late because it's a it's a tough thing to fit into an hour. A whole a whole tryst, and then mm. also the conversation about hey, or can we make this more official? That's a lot to fit She's into made a huge lunch life hour. choices <laughs> and stuff on uh, lunchtime. So she goes back. Uh, her boss was out longer, even because mm-hmm. he's with an oil tycoon who's. They work in a real estate office. Who's buying a house for his daughter for her wedding? Gross. He's spending. It's the this is grosser. The house costs forty thousand okay, dollars. It's nineteen sixty, and it's in Arizona, so and, uh, that's different, maybe. No, this is why I get pissed off at baby boomers who are like, right. just get a job and get a house, and I'm like. How? Oh no! Every house around here <laughs> worth having is yeah, about a million dollars. Don't tell me when you went to school for a thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. or not even that, you know, three hundred dollars a year. You so you could work during the summer and pay for your entire time at school, and then you bought a house for yeah, fucking forty thousand dollars on one income. Shut up! I don't want to hear it. Anyway. <laughs> so they come back from There's lunch. a lot of rants in this episode. Yeah. They come back from lunch and. This guy is not just buying this house for $40,000. He's buying this house for $40,000 in cash. So uh, her boss doesn't love that and is like, I don't even want to keep this shit in the safe. I want you to take it to the bank. And then she says, okay, I've got a headache. Can I go home after that? And he's like, sure, go ahead. I looked it up. $40,000 is about $425,000 now. 40,000 equal. Yeah, it's about, ten, it's like an 11x or so mm-hmm. multiplier. And uh, so she, having just heard that her boyfriend would marry her if he had money, fucking yoinks this money. She takes it and she gets this, her shit and she puts it in a suitcase and then she drives away. Before she leaves town, her boss sees her driving in her car. He's like, he looks at her <laughs> and I said, hey, um, is this where the scene in Pulp Fiction comes from? <laughs> Could be. Who knows? But I thought that was funny. And then she drives away, and she's so nervous. She falls asleep on the road, is rousted by a cop, just acts like she definitely stole $40,000, <laughs> drives into a town. Well, that was the comment the two young people said. She has no chill. She just, like, no she chill. freaks out the minute the cop is... You know, I'm like, you're a white woman. Calm down. Right. <laughs> but she's also... I mean, the cop might rape you. Let's be real. Right. But nobody's looking to arrest you. Well, he has no evidence to arrest her, so he doesn't do anything now. 
He does does follow her around in this really weird, uncomfortable way. Yeah, he does. He definitely is a little bit stocky. You can't say that about cops, except it's true. We'll say it about them all day. All day. Stocky, stocky, stocky. Um, But yeah, and he's like berating her about, well, why don't you just go to a motel, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, it is the responsible thing to do as a driver if you are getting very tired to pull the fuck over and mm. take a nap. That's literally what the law says. I don't know, maybe in Arizona they're like, nah, fucking drive until you die. I don't know. Uh, I don't think she was in Arizona. She was in California by now. But yeah, her uh, paranoia ramps the fuck up and then she goes to a car dealership and is like, hey, can I have that car? I'll give you this car. And the, the dealer's like, you're not even going to make it hard for me. Like, the dealer wants to talk her out of this car, and she's like, just mm. give me the car. How well, much do I have to give you to give me the car? One of the great things about this movie, being shot with a small budget and all, is that there's so many great character actors in here yeah. that if you watch enough old television, you can remember John Anderson was on Twilight Zone, it felt like, all the time. Uh, Martin Balsam's in it. John yeah. McIntyre, who plays a sheriff, who is married to Janet Nolan, who is one of the voices used for Mrs. Bates. That's because that was one of the questions I had was, uh, is are we hearing him do a voice? Because it didn't sound like no. it. It sounded like a like a female right. voice. Uh, but I wasn't sure. And then I looked it up, and then there were three people. And for had. those of you who don't know in our audience, Jeanette Nolan was a wonderful actress who just loved playing witches. She was the the witch in Jess Bell in the Twilight Zone. Oh, she okay. was the witch in Aunt Ida Came to Stay, and she was the witch. She even played Lady Macbeth to Orson Welles' Macbeth. So she loved. But there that are kind real witches part. in that. Yes, play. but she wanted to play. If you have I mean, the choice, if you have Macbeth the option, or the witch, play Lady Macbeth. Macbeth. She switches the plates. It's mm-hmm. pouring down rain. She pulls into dun 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 the basement town, and there's nobody around. But then a man runs down from the house, to the house on the hill. Guy is twitchy as hell, but he seems like a very sweet kid. He does. And he checks her in. He he first, like, he, he makes her leave a name, uh, and she leaves a fake name. Mm-hmm. And she tells him that she's from Los Angeles, because she has the Los Angeles Times with her. Uh, so she's lying about name and place. And then... He invites her to have dinner up at the house because there's no restaurants except like one 15-minute drive and mm-hmm. it's pouring rain and she's tired. And so, he, you know, he invites her up to the house and then we hear... Oh, he, yeah, okay. He go goes up to the house and we hear them have a fight. Right, you hear the mom and The him. mom and him have a fight. Mrs. Bates and Norman Bates yell at each other. Well, she yells at him and he... Uh, begs her a little bit and it comes down to you're not bringing that whore into my house basically and so he comes back down and it's like uh so you can't come up to my house but I'll bring you some sandwiches if you want we can have dinner together down here and she's like you don't have to and he's like but I'm gonna and she's like okay (laughs) so they have food and he says something, and I can't, there's a bunch of stuffed birds. We find out that he's a taxidermist, because mm-hmm. of course he is. And I don't remember what he says, but she starts being like, I gotta get out well, of she, here. There is, they start a conversation about his mom, 
Yeah. And oh, that's that right. sends him into sort of a tailspin because yeah. she he's telling her that his mom is has begun to lose her faculties. Yeah. And that's the you know, apologizes for her yelling. And she makes a suggestion, well, is there some place you could put her? Yeah. That's right. And he I'm, goes, have you ever been in one of those places? Yeah. You, have you ever had an idea what it's like? You know, and, and it, it goes on to the point where she's sort of taken it back by... That's right. Oh, it's the we all go mad sometimes. Right. So she just goes a little mad Which sometimes. when you see um, Vince Vaughn's take on that, he oh, literally Lord. starts jerking his head around and, you know, he's playing into like, oh, we all go a little mad sometimes. But that would be enough of a warning right there. Like, ha. Huh. And then I lock my door. Right. I put a chair up against it. I don't get in the shower. Mm. I wait for the rain to stop, and then I drive the fuck away. Like, what? Especially because this man is the giant, not Anthony Perkins. Um, so she goes in her room. She wraps up the money in the times because she, she opens the top drawer of every piece of furniture and just is like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I'm like, why... Why do you just keep opening the same drawer and go, no, I can't. You should just go, no drawers, and then move on to yeah. the next thing. Uh, so she does that. She gets. She decides she's going to take a shower. He peeps on her, at her uh, from the office behind, the pa- behind a painting. There's a hole that goes into the room one, which is the size of a quarter, and I don't understand how she doesn't see it, but that's fine. And then I think it, as she's leaving, I feel like she slips up about her, where she came from. Right. She ends up saying she's, she like, she forgets that she said Los Angeles and she says Phoenix. And, uh, oh, and then he asks her, you know, to clarify her last name, like, oh, miss whatever. And she says Crane instead mm-hmm. of whatever fake name she had given him. She gave him um, Samuels, which oh, okay. is after Sam, yeah. her boyfriend. And he looks at what she had written and knows that she has mm-hmm. given a fake name and a fake address, to which I'm sure his brain went, she's disposable. And then... Well, someone <laughs> in his head said she's disposable. Yeah, that's true, I guess. And then he does come back and stab her in the shower. Now... We don't know that it's him at this point. No, we just see the um, the silhouette, and he's got a wig on that looks like an old lady's mm-hmm. hair, and maybe like a cardigan. It looked like some bad. It was hard situation. to tell. She, he pulls aside the curtain and just stabs her repeatedly, and yeah. this is. Um, I mean, it is really well shot. It involves Janet Lee wearing. Um, moleskin falsies yeah uh by the end of the the, the shooting of the, the, the he stabs her she drips as it turns out chocolate syrup yeah and i will say the one thing that well i understand the scene is a classic it doesn't really work for me but that might mm-hmm. just be you know just too much time but what i want in that scene is more blood right and that was a, an issue because the censors of the film... That's what I thought my At the time, they had two major objections right off the bat, one of which was, later in the film, someone uses the word transvestite, and they did not want that word to be allowed in the script. But Hitchcock was like, well, if not, they're going to think that 
Norman is a transvestite and he's not. He's not, yeah. And so he wanted to clarify that. So they actually... So we had a little bit of social Well, Joseph Stefano actually went to the censors with a, uh, like, DSM definition of what what transvestite was. And this is not a person who kills people. We want to make sure of that. The other thing was, and this is how touchy they were at the time, she, we see Marianne go in her room, she writes down um, $40,000 and then subtracts the $7,000 for the car. $700. That's right. Yeah, she um, just writes 40000 minus 700 and then writes 39300 That's what she's <laughs> written on this piece of paper, and then she crumples it up. And I'm just like... Because she's she made a decision, and really it's a decision based after the conversation with Norman. That she's going to go back. She's going to, yeah, she's like, this, this was stupid. Right. I, I got to go back. I've blown up my life and it's stupid yeah. and I got to go. And so like her moment, because her, her takeaway from, and that's what I appreciate about how complex this movie is. Yeah. Is her takeaway from this conversation with Norman was, we all go a little crazy sometimes. Yes, I went, I went crazy. Bit, yeah. I need to go back. Yeah. And so, but as I was saying, the, the censor was objected to the fact that she rips these, this paper up and flushes it down the toilet. That's right. And, and the censor the was like, we don't show toilets in American films. What are you doing showing a toilet? And the toilet's flushy. And yes, with no bodily waste Right, but the idea all. is that it would draw people's minds to bodily waste. Then we follow a scene where someone is nude, and so all of this was vulgar and dirty and They coarse. just wish that that whole hotel room just didn't have a bathroom. Like, right. we just not think there about the fact that... There were films back in the day where they didn't have... Like, you're watching... Floor plans in films, particularly in the 30s and 40s, where there's no bathrooms at all in a house. And they never even mentioned the bathroom. Um, I always presume there's an outhouse. Yeah, I think you could get away <laughs> with that in like a Western or something where there was an outhouse where horrible, shameful, I mean, dirty things were gotten out of your body. Rural places in this country until the 50s and oh, 60s yeah. had outhouses. Well, and I'm, I'm sure there are some places oh, like in Appalachia right. are, that are still there are doing towns that. towns in California where, you know, you have to go to the outhouse if you're, you know, staying in this particular uh, Airbnb or whatever. But anyhow, that's enough about me. The uh, But that scene, there wasn't enough blood because they had to cut back. Okay. That was another reason why the film was shot even in, in black and white. Oh, they didn't want the red. The red would have just much. set them off too much. And that was, you know. That was my initial thought uh, was, I bet they wouldn't let them have more blood. The black and, yeah. I'm just like, this girl's not going to die from that much blood. I lost more blood than that when I cut my hand. Yeah. I did have to get stitches, but it wasn't because of the blood loss. Uh, yeah, it was, I was just like, that's not There wasn't enough blood. There was, um, but I was surprised to find out that gently falls down. She's draped over the side of the, the, the tub. The, yeah. tub, And we're treated to this close-up of her eye that doesn't blink. That wasn't a still photograph. That was her. Her. Yeah, no, I knew, I knew it Holding was. Holding her eyes open for dear life. Because there's a uh, tiny twitch, which on a screen, on a silver screen, like in the mm. movies, you probably could have seen, but you probably weren't looking for right. that. You were just like looking directly in. And on the big TV, I was like, there's just a little, it's, I mean, it's very, very small. So she, like, there's all sorts of stories about the scene Mm. that Hitchcock suddenly turned on cold water. She's like, no, he was, uh, oddly to her, compared to Tippi Hedren, a perfect gentleman the entire time. Um, But also, uh Tippi Hedren was wearing the same suit all all the whole time in the birds, right? Right. Janet Lee was like, yes, I will basically get naked. 
<laughs> like he, right. you know, she, she was doing. She well, what I liked about her version of events um, when she's describing shooting the scene is that he put a lot of thought apparently into how she would feel about this. So he had the body doubles, and he asked for women who were used to modeling nude, so that way they wouldn't have be as self conscious about what, being in, in, in a group of people or having other people see their body. But she essentially was staying there in fall season panties. And but also, I think this. the fact that he, of course, mm-hmm. knew that she'd taken the pay cut to work with him right. probably raised her in his estimation and his, right. you know, how he's going to treat her. Like, and, and the fact like, that she I was, already know that you respect me, so right. I will go ahead and respect well, you. Well, there's also, because uh, one of the, the guys who worked on the film, there was a rumor for a while that Saul Bass, who did all the storyboards and the title design, and was really a wonderful... Art director, I'm not sure exactly what to call him. Uh-huh. He, uh, but he did a lot of beautiful graphic design. That he shot this scene, and the people working. No, no, he he wasn't there for that. He shot. He worked with Hitchcock and made storyboards so much so that later on in the film, when uh, there was a scene where Hitchcock was too sick to show up for work, they actually shot from his storyboards. But this scene, he needed to be there all the time. With it goes very weird seeing Hitchcock fully dressed because he's a, the generation of directors who dressed for work. You know, right? Yes. So no. He was wearing a to suit every a, time. A perfectly naked woman just sitting there, like, and when the water comes on, I want you to do this and and all. And he went. He was so he he owned this scene in particular because he knew how important it was for the film. Uh-huh. Down to the point where he's in with the sound effects guy, listening to him stab things to see what sound effect he wanted. Oh, that's. I mean, that yes, you should do that. And it turned out being a cassava. Stab oh. the cassava. With a knife? Yeah. Okay. But um, Sometimes they use other, like... Yeah. Janet Lee mentions when she's draped over the uh, the side of the tub that she was just focusing on it, and then to her horror, the moleskin falsies that she was wearing began to fall off, but she thought, God, I can't lay on this floor again, so she's like, I threw modesty to the wind, and so what? <laughs> yeah. I, what was the impact to you when you watched it this time? I know that you've probably seen it a lot. I just get hung up on why isn't she bleeding, mm. which is a terrible thing to think generally. Um, I understand why it was shot the way that mm. it was shot, and I think at the time I would have been very impressed. And the editing too. Mm. I was just checking to see if it had been nominated for any editing awards, mm. and it it had not it's been. Just, yeah, it was. It was. It was not highly esteemed at first. I also feel like overall the editing in the film mm-hmm. isn't nearly as strong as those three minutes mm-hmm. because that's the most important three minutes, right? right? Uh, and I would argue that keeping the entirety of what we do see at the end, that sort of mm-hmm. coda to the to the right. movie. That could have been edited, not yeah. out entirely, but it could have been short. We got like a five-minute dissertation, right. well, and we'll I'm just like, we'll that and get to it, because I, I got feelings about it. So, yes, you never see the knife actually cut her, either, which, which is, is the, f- I think another that's thing. Fine. It's like the knife is flashing. And you do see it... Like, in front of her, her abdomen. Yes, and her back, mm. like right above... Um, like her, her lower back, right. you do see something that looks like it's scraping, but it, I mean, that's obviously not touching her. So I, th- I, to me, that was the thing where I was like, oh, that's like she's being stabbed. But mm-hmm. just the angles of it are, is, are very weird. But I've also, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, seen a lot of 
stabbings in media. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I don't think she's being stabbed because she wasn't being stabbed, which is fine. She's a movie star. She's not. Movie- <laughs> like, but it was also a matter of slowing the film down yeah. where censors are going, oh, I can see her nipples. No, her nipples are covered up but, the entire time. Well, and Anne, the mm. one with uh, Vince Vaughn and Anne Haitian, you see um, her, her, her anus. Oof. Yeah. She's very thin. Uh-huh. And so they show her splayed out. And she's right. nude. And that was... And so you see more of her than Joseph maybe she Stefano wanted said, you to. One of the things that he did dislike that was also cut from the film because of censorship was that there was a scene where she's... Where it's from the very top of the shower. Because there's a lot of sort of weird air, yeah, aerial Yeah, that's angles. the other thing is there's really high and mm-hmm. there's low and there's right on yeah. um, uh, cuts. And... To me, that gets confusing. So I'm like, well, what is our perspective? Yeah. Like, and it's well, different it's, than like a, a fight scene that's mm-hmm. cut so that you can only see when, when they look good and not right. when they don't look good. But like in this case, because it's just two people in a small space, all of the different angles is like jarring, which mm-hmm. maybe which is on the purpose. Idea. It's right? on purpose. You're supposed to feel disoriented both from the attack and from the attacker's point of view because it gives her point. Of view. Or their point of view as well. But Stefano said that there was one closing shot of Janet Lee's double in that case, sort of lying huddled on the floor. And because her bottom was naked, and it was turned away from you, but you could tell that she wasn't wearing clothing. It was just the hair, yeah. her hip or whatever. You cut, you it got cut out. And he said that was tragic because that shot really portrays like this very vulnerable, almost like she's yeah. almost curled up like an infant. Yeah, And that was They wouldn't even do it at a... With just like a silhouette, like the way that he, or he in drag, or not drag, but he in his. Um, mm. No, the, it was it was really, and this was really the beginning of the death of the studio system's sort of self censorship. Right. Well, more around violence than around nudity. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was violence and nudity. It, yeah, it's a little bit of both. And they also mm-hmm. didn't have the type of modesty devices and garments mm. that they oh, yeah, have they now. Because uh, now they basically have a, it's like a band-aid that goes from like the middle of your abdomen. It's like basically a big pad that wraps mm. around underneath and then sticks to, yeah, so to, you're, you you turn out like a, like a Barbie doll. To tell you <laughs> how just... far that's come, Janet Lee mentioned actually talking to the the costume designer, and they were looking, because we spent a lot of time looking at girly magazines to see what kind of garments can you wear that will make you look like you're naked when you're not. Right. And that's when they finally got the idea of using sort of these moleskin pads, yeah. stripper pads, because otherwise, she goes, yeah, there wasn't, that they hadn't developed that yet. Yeah. There was no uh, uh, real conception of a modesty garment right. or any of that at the time. Merkins. Yes. Which I, that word always sounds like a like a animal it, from the Harry does, Potter universe or something. It does. It sounds like um I don't know what the animal was called in the Thundercats, the Snarf. Mm-hmm. His name was Snarf because that's what he said. And I don't think you ever found out what kind of beast he was. Merkin. <laughs> <laughs> or the um uh, Fizzgig from the Dark Crystal. Yeah, Merkin. Yeah, that, that that would be a Merkin. <laughs> You guys, if you don't know what a merkin is, don't Google it. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's like a toupee for the lower part of your body. Yes. So, 
after he kills her, well, after she is killed, mm-hmm. he comes down, at, or he, he has a whole thing of, mother, the blood, the blood, and he comes down quick. Like, he... You see, I think, the door close, mm-hmm. and then you see, like, you hear him and his mother yelling, although she doesn't say anything. Right. He's just aghast by the fact, I guess, she's quote-unquote covered in blood. And then he comes down to see what has happened in his regular clothes with not a speck of blood on him. So I'm like, what was he, what was he wearing when this happened? Uh, and then, because he's a good son... He cleans up the crime scene. Right. He does a pretty good job of it. Uh, he washes everything down. He wraps her in the shower curtain, which is very smart. Puts her in the trunk of her car and then, like, scans the room. Puts all her suitcase and all her clothes in. Scans the room, scans the room. Takes her newspaper, throws it in with her. What's in the newspaper? $40,000. Excuse me, $39,300. <laughs> and then puts that on the trunk of her car drives her car away and then we see it sinking into a bog there's globe, a moment globe, globe, and then it stops and he's like oh no right and then that. he goes globe 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 there's a moment <laughs> where he just sort of has this look on his face and then when the like they're gonna catch me and then when the car actually sinks is almost like a, a faint ghost of a grin and this again goes to how really good his performance yeah, is yeah he's very good because again watching it with these two you know this uh, reaction video they both looked at each other, these kids, really, and they're like, what did that mean? Like, they were catching everything that Hitchcock was laying down yeah. and that was being laying down in the performances. They were completely confused at that point. Largely because, too, though, mm-hmm. even if they don't have a long understanding or a strong understanding of film history, mm-hmm. I feel like people, say, my age and younger, maybe because of things like The Sixth Sense, mm-hmm and everything that's come after it are constantly watching right. to say, Hey, what is the director? Like, what is the, if, if there's going to be a twist, what's it going to be? Um, whatever, what do they think I'm going to be surprised by at the end? Like, what are they setting up? What are they setting up? I wish I didn't think that when I was watching a movie, but every time I'm watching a movie, I'm, my brain is like, this is what's going to happen. And I'm right, like, 90-some percent of the time. Sometimes I'll be like, I think, and I'll be like, oh, nope, (laughs) didn't do that. But there have been some movies that we started, and, like, there was one in particular that I remember is that Mother, what was it called, where the woman was sick, like, this... I want to say she was Spanish, and she was sick, and she had her face wrapped up. Good Night Mother. Good Night Mother, yeah. yeah. And, like... 10 minutes in, 5 minutes in maybe, uh-huh. I just got up and I was like, hey, I think I know what's going to happen. I think I know what the twist is and I don't really want to watch this. Um, and then you ended up, you know, finishing it and I came out and I was mm-hmm. like, spoiler alert for a movie that we're not talking about. Hey, there wasn't two kids. Was there? <laughs> you were like, nope. <laughs> yeah, I I had, uh, I think I mentioned that here too once before, is that there was a, uh, there's a book called The Other by Tom Tyron and it was made into a film and it was the first film to pull that gag, and I was watching this mother movie, going, "Please don't do that again." But because it has like been ripped off so often. One of the movies called Uninvited. There's uh-huh. a bunch of them, but one of them, I want to say, this Elizabeth, Elizabeth Banks, I think. It? Yeah, and Emily Browning does the same thing. Yeah. Emily Browning, only one, but there are two. But oh no, only one of them is alive. And then there's a film with. Um, there was a film that also that we saw together with. Elizabeth Olsen. 
Yeah. That had the same. The same it's thing. like, oh no, that friend is not a real friend, and this. Yeah. And it, it gets. And then there's that. Oh, there's a Nicholas mm-hmm. Sparks based um, movie, like a, one of those uh, weepy ro- romances, where where the woman makes a new friend when she gets to this town, and then it turns out that new friend is the man she's interested in's dead wife, like sort of vetting her and pushing them together. Uh, Just like, what uh, is happening? Yeah, so it's used a lot. I, yeah. It's it's not a trope where I'm like instantaneously no. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to drag not... you, if it's going to drag you through a whole bunch of mess to get to a point that you already understand, yeah, then it, make it interesting. Yeah. Do an interesting. New I, different I watched thing with The it. Wicker Man recently with someone, the, uh, the original, the original, okay. and even though you know about midway through what's going to happen yeah. in this guy, then it becomes, holy cow, is he going to get out? Is right. he going to get out? And then he, you know, then quite to your surprise. He doesn't. He doesn't. Nope. And you're like, lit on fire. (laughs) And so that was like a different kind of setting you up for an expectation that once you know what's going to happen to him, oh, he's going to escape, right? He's the hero. Then there's the opposite, Mm -hmm. which is something like um, Human Centipede. Right. So that movie came out when I was working at the law firm, and um, one of my friends there, we went to movies together. And we specifically, I remember, went to see the... I can't remember the name of it. The sec- Ty West's move, first okay, movie. Okay, right. House of the Devil? House or? of the Devil, that's the yeah. one. Because we were like, that name sounds cool. The fucking trailer is cool. Both mm-hmm. of us got out of the movie, and we were like, that wasn't it. Um, but he was like, have you seen this thing? And I watched the trailer for it, and I was like, oh, I'm never going to watch that movie. Not because I find it too disgusting. I do. But because I was like, okay, here's the thing. We know what happens to these people. Right. So whenever in the movie that happens, all I'm going to be able to do to root for those people is, I hope you die as soon as possible. Yeah. Not because I want you to die, but because there's not any coming back from this. I understand that there are people who want to move the goalposts forward in terms of what's acceptable in film and stuff like that. I just need those people to be okay with the fact that I don't need to see it. And, I think and, and some are. of them are. I think they some are. Some of them are. Others, not so much. There okay. are other filmmakers, um, I'm thinking, directors who sort of feel that they have to move the goalposts by shocking the audience. Uh-huh. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that there are people who don't have an issue with that. Right. I'm, like, I'm pretty of, sure the Human Centipede director is like, yeah, if you don't want to see this, I get right. it. I was thinking of uh, Luis Buñuel. When he did the Andalusian dog, okay. starts the film with an eyeball being yeah. slit uh, with right. a razor blade. He was so certain that audiences would hate his film that he filled his pockets full of rocks so he could throw at the unappreciative audience who was not uh, who was unsympathetic to his his strivings as an artist. So he's a man baby, is what you're telling me. <clears throat> yes, according to some people, he's a genius. Also, if you not if so, you I mean, are an artist. You have to understand that what you do is not for everyone. What you do is subjective. It, yeah. And you should mm-hmm. absolutely love what you do. And then you should find your audience for that thing. Because there's an audience yeah. for everything. And that's one of the things that I've had to come to terms with is that you have to be careful even who you share your work with. When yeah. I'm writing, I'm like, okay, these are the people who like it and these are the people who don't like it. 
and I really can't listen too much to people who don't like it. Right. Because they want to change it into yeah. something they want. Right. They're like, uh, could you change everything about this place? <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, we've had conversations yeah. about that. But anyhow, um, I, I like in this case, I think that it was shocking. It did move the parameters of violence out. Uh-huh. It did do stuff like that. But it also it served a purpose for the story as well. Right. And I think that for audiences then to see something like I, I don't know that somebody's pulled much of anything like this as a trick anymore uh, to have the the main character of the narrative just die in the film like this I, I'm i sh- pretty sure it has happened but I cannot think of one I can only think of one or two other examples of it and one of them actually was made at the same year as this film and they keep oh interesting uh, and that was uh, God. What was the name of the the film? Because it went under a bunch of different titles. But um, City of the Dead, which was an early Christopher Lee film, where you're following his main character, and then in that case, probably the first third of the movie, she gets killed, and you're like, "Wait, now what are we doing? What? what? Yeah." But it it must have been a huge shock at the yeah, time, for sure. Yeah. So now we're in the mm-hmm. woman that we've been following since opening credits. She's not surviving. She's not somehow bad. No, she's is dead. In she's swamp. real dead. She's in the back of yeah, in the back of her car in a swamp. She doesn't come back as a ghost. Nope. None of that. Nope. All the things that you would have having a major star in this film. Yep. Nope. No. Nope. She is not. That's a. That's a. Film rap right. on Janet Lee, and uh, which I bet actually she was on the set the whole time. If they're doing that shower scene over three weeks, he's mm. shooting other stuff in the meantime too. I'm not sure how much of it more of it she stayed for because she liked she liked the experience apparently of going to the theater and watching the film and just going, Oh, is that what they did with it? Oh, okay. So I don't know if that's that was interesting. The case. We pick up about a week later when her sister Lila uh arrives at Fairville to check in with Sam. Fairville is where he's from, mm-hmm. which I'm gonna say is uh I don't know. 30 miles west of Bakersfield. (laughs) It's unclear where we are. It's not a real place. But we're in the Central Valley, the the Southern Central Valley of California. Because we see a sign that says Bakersfield this way, Los Angeles this way. And she's gone. That's where Sam is in his little hardware store with his little lean-to, I guess, that he's sleeping in. And he she checks in and she's like well, he, she's gone we hear actually there's a the transition to this part is um like this over like this voiceover over the scene of basically nothing traveling of her boss going you know where is she oh she hasn't arrived yet i've called her sister her sister doesn't know where she is the $40,000 didn't make it to the bank. Someone works with you for 50 years, or, you know, 10 years, and you trust her. Like, there's all of this stuff where we're finding out, like, what happens on Monday morning. Um, and then we have the time jump a little bit where Lila comes to see Sam and is like, where's my sister? And he's like, I don't know. And she has brought a PI with her, Arbogast, as you say. That is uh, Martin Balsam, awesome. who, um, to me, looks like Tom Irwin. And every time I see him, I think, I tell you, hey, he looks like the dad from my so-called life. And then I pull up a picture of him and I show you and you go, oh, yeah, he does. 
It's happened like four times now. It's so, a routine that we have. Yes. So he's coming. He comes in. He's checking around. Um, I don't remember how they land on the fact that uh, to check out the base well, motel. Is he checking out just all the motels out in the every area? Motel in the area. He has traced it to the guy, um, California Charlie. Okay. Who sold her the car. Oh yeah, that's right. And so now that that he's on that, tra- he knows what road she was on. Right. He knows what direction she was heading in. Right. So he's now stopping. Yeah, he, she knows that he. Right. They know she's heading to Fairville. Like that's where. She right. Was. Because the the first accusation he makes, or that Lila makes, is is she here with you? Is she here? Yeah. Living you, with yeah. you? Are she? Are you? You Did know where she is. Smuggle her, right? Right. And he has he has no idea this has happened. This is the first he's heard of it. Yeah. So he's in shock. And Arbogast comes in and starts asking questions, but he seems to understand really right away that Sam has no idea what's going on. Right. He's panicking. Yeah, he and doesn't. He doesn't know. He's obviously not Lila has no idea because she's panicked. She's like really worked up. Yeah, and it's hired him to find her. Mm-hmm. And they're in a situation. You hear they're in a situation where the people involved, including I think her boss, mm-hmm. um, if they can get her, if they can bring her in, right. She, they won't put her in jail. Like they're just gonna figure yeah, out a way for the, her to pers- uh, pressing charges. They just want the money. They want the money back, and they want her safe. Like right. th- that is, she worked for this man for ten years. But there's a neat sort of in that voiceover because there's a lot of reflection. It's an interesting technique because he uses it several times in the film, uh-huh. including at one point um, Marion's imagination when she's oh, imagining yeah. what people will say about her. Yeah, but. Uh, at the, we hear the guy who was uh, letting go of the money, or rather who lost the money, is like, can you imagine she was flirting with me? Yeah. And we know perfectly well he was just hitting on her relentlessly. And she was just like, uh-huh, because I'm at, I'm at work and I can't be rude to you, but ew. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, because she asks to go home because of her headache, and he's like... He answers, absolutely go home because he and I are going out for steaks tonight or whatever. Right. And uh, she's just like, okay, can I really go? Because you're not my fucking boss. Like, I didn't ask you. The pr- private investigator goes out to Bates Motel. Mm-hmm. Norman is caging as fuck, which is wild because here's all he has to do. Be honest about everything that happened mm-hmm. up to... I killed her, or my mom killed her, because he doesn't know that he did it yet. My mom killed her, I cleaned up the body. You could literally just end it with, she said that she had to go to bed because she was getting up early, like before dawn, uh, and I went up to the house, and when I came back, she was, she and her car were gone. That's it. That's what you mm. could say. You could literally just be like, hey, we had dinner, she gave me a, you know, she gave me a fake name or whatever you only you know once he shows you a picture oh i did see her but she i i was under the impression that this was her name because this is what she said like right. you could I, it would be just well he may say the, the truth the first mistake he makes is saying no one's been around here for weeks yeah and then immediately he's like last week a couple right. of blah 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 and i'm just like dude literally and all you have to this do is guy's a, really he's a private detective so he's like i thought you said no yeah. one's been here you know a couple of weeks Wait, can I look at your uh, your um, uh, ledger? I'm sorry. Yeah, your the guest uh, book, and then finds at name. Oh yeah, I remember her now. So yeah. it's she. He yeah. keeps catching 
Norman, literally, yeah, literally all he had to do was say, and maybe I don't know, maybe I'm better at lying than some people, but well, I think like, also he was he's not really good at lying, uh, and he also uh doesn't want anyone thinking that she spent time there because that means that he'll start getting asked a bunch of questions, yeah, and as a result, he's just asked more questions right. through his, his cover up, so yeah, poorly thought out, so. He he gets that information and he bounces, mm-hmm. but he doesn't trust them. So he had he calls Lila mm-hmm. uh, on a payphone. We love that. We love to see it. And says, "Hey, I'm gonna go back because that was cage as fuck, and I need to ask him a couple of clarifying questions." Uh, and then, um, oh, and he says, "You know, I'm gonna go try and talk to his mom because his his mother's up there. She may have seen something." This and and he was trying to block him from seeing his block. Norman was trying to block Arbogast from seeing his mother, and Arbogast was like, "No, no, I'm going to see her." And she's and then he says, "I should be back there in about an hour." He goes back to the hotel. Norman is not around. He goes up to the house. He enters without knocking because in Alfred Hitchcock movies, no one locks it's their door, and everybody right. just feels cool about walking into somebody's house. Tippy Hedren, I'm looking at you, wandering around a random person's house and leaving them some birds. And he goes to climb up the stairs, and then he is he is in, he encounters what we think is a woman mm-hmm. who does she stab first and she then he stabs falls him down across the, the face. Oh, that's and right. And he falls backwards down the stairs. Yeah. And once he falls there, then she she, comes down he, and... she pounces on him and just keeps you know stab stab stab. Yeah. And then we see Norman standing next to the same fog and the car just sinking down. And that's where I was like, how deep is this thing? That's crazy. That's two cars stacked on top of each other. That's high. Yeah. And then it's still flat. Like, it's not, it was wild. I was like, is this thing like 60 feet deep? What the fuck? And then Lila and Sam start getting worried because it's been two hours. It's been three hours. It's been four hours. Right. And uh, Sam's like, well, maybe he, you know, got a lead and, and got on the road. That's what they, that's sort of the going thought of the men in this situation is he just, he got a better lead from Norman. He knows what he's going to do. And then he got on the road to get, to follow it. Right. And she's like, he likes me and he would have called me. Like, he would have the very least called me to let me know what was going on. Also, technically, she's his client. So, yeah, keep mm. your fucking client informed. He seemed like a professional. Right. Right up until he did get stabbed to death. So that's not great for P.I. <laughs> but, uh, so she, they go to the sheriff. Um, and, and the sheriff knows Sam because it's a small town. That's right, yes. And they wake him up in the middle of the night. And they say, hey, this guy, you know, Arbogast went to um, question Norman Bates' mom. And the sheriff is like, nope, nope, that's not what has happened. And they're like, no, we, she, he saw an, a woman in the, like, walking in the window. And so he was going to go talk to her. But Oh, and Norman said that she wasn't well, but he mm-hmm. wanted to go sort of force the issue. And the sheriff is like, um, so Norman Bates' mom is dead. <laughs> She's been dead for, uh, it's been years, but I'm not yeah. sure how many years. 
She died. Ten years. Okay, it was ten years. Okay, that's what I had in my head, but I wasn't. I didn't trust it. Uh, She supposedly had a rough time after Norman's father passed away, and then was in a relationship with another man who, I guess, when he went to leave her. She poisoned them both. It, I think that that's was the, the story. That's the they, story. Right. And she is dead and buried in the cemetery. And so that's not his mom. And they're like, oh, okay, that's weird. And like he's like, maybe it was a doll. Maybe it was like mm-hmm. all kinds of things. But they were like, okay, that's weird. Well, and and he seems to think the same thing. He got like a hot lead, and he's on the road. Right. Because the sheriff does not want to do it. Well, the other thing that the sheriff thinks is that Arbogast might have made a deal with Marion and taken a cut of the money. Right. Okay, yeah. So that would give him motivation to... To just bounce. What I like about this movie that I mentioned uh, to you at the time is that there's no jump that isn't logical that they're taking. It's like they're investigating all those possibilities and they're all very reasonable possibilities. Yeah. Also, I appreciate that Lila is... Both Marion and Lila are smart. Marion mm-hmm. makes a bad mistake, but both of them are smart women mm-hmm. and are, Lila specifically, or Lila? Is it Lila? Lila specifically. Lila. It's Lilo, it's Lila. Uh, Lila specifically is not necessarily taken seriously by the men, mm-hmm. but not. Because they don't think she's smart, they just don't listen to women. Like it's not like right. Like we we don't. It's an interesting contrast to Mrs. Bates, who's the woman who runs the entire show, more or less. Yeah. So, the Lila and Sam are like, we're gonna check out this motel on our own. We're just gonna go do it. Sam is like, how are we gonna do this? And Lila's like, like we're gonna check in as man and wife. And then we're going to search the place. What do you think? Like, and mm-hmm. he, I think he's a little like taken aback. Like, we're going to be in well, the same place. She's, she's very. She's like, we're not sleeping there. Like, she's very um, forward. Yeah. She's very direct, which is another thing that's appealing about her character. Yeah. Um. So they do. They check mm-hmm. in. Norman Bates is weird again. Uh. He puts her them like as far from room one, which is the one that she was in, and the one that's right adjacent to the office, right. as possible. And then they come out and sneak. She goes to sneak in the rooms, and he goes to like find Norman and um, sort of distract him. And Lila gets in to the room, right? Or both of them, I guess, get into the room. And the room, and we see Sam opening all of the same drawers that Marion had opened at the beginning, and I'm like, "There's not forty thousand dollars in any of those drawers." And um, and they think Norman's motivation was steal the forty thousand dollars to uh, to get away from there, essentially. Yeah, that's right. Because he didn't like being saddled with a hotel. It was too yeah. far. Well, they built a highway that directed away from right. it. So he's just here with his... And then the idea was also that he was just going to spend $40,000 to buy a different motel. Like, that's yeah. what they say. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> that's like a weird thing. Um, oh, so they do check the rooms. but And then they're like, we're, one of us needs to go to the house. So I was like, I'm going to the house. You 
Mm-hmm. You know. Also, because Sam is a great him. big man. Yeah. So yeah. if he goes wandering to this woman's house and they still think there's an old lady, right. she's probably going to be terrified. But also, if something happened here, mm-hmm. it certainly wasn't right. the old lady... And we're not going to leave the pretty blonde girl with the dude that might have killed his sister. Like, that would be dumb. Uh, so Sam, like, tries to make some very awkward small talk. Yeah, and, he's really aggressive. And Bates is like, mm, I don't trust you. And then knocks him unconscious. Doesn't kill him, mm. but does knock him unconscious. Uh, meanwhile, Lila, she's, like, sort of skulking around. And then she hears Norman coming in. And she like runs down into the cellar, which we had heard previously. So all of the conversations between Norman and his mother take place outside, just looking up at right. the house. And then they're just full volume conversations that we just get to see from here or hear from, from a distance. And I actually kind of wish, because the house is small, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a miniature house, not like mini mini, but like two thirds size. And it's at, Universal Studios, and I kind of wish if on the tram ride when you went by it, they like piped in one of those conversations. <laughs> Specifically, funny. I don't want to talk about these disgusting things because they disgust me. <laughs> this is such a good line because it's like you're sitting right. right in the living room, but you're watching it from twenty yards away. And one of the things that they uh, that we hear is. Norman's like, I don't know what's happening, but we got to get you safe, and I want you to. I want to take you to the the cellar because there are people coming. And she's like, I don't want to hide in the cellar. <laughs> this is my house. A fruit cellar? Why? Do you think I'm fruity? Do you think I'm fruit? She does say that. And then we see him carrying uh-huh. a form, a female form, down the stairs. And so, Marion, or not Marion, Lila, trying to hide goes into the fruit cellar and sees um, what she thinks is an old lady in a rocking chair. Back is true. Facing the wall mm. like fucking Blair Witch. And she goes and she's like, Mrs. Bates? And she doesn't respond. She says, Mrs. Bates? And she goes up and turns the thing around. And then it is a it is a corpse. It is a desiccated corpse with no eyes. And that's Mrs. Bates, and she's real dead. So who have we been hearing the whole time? Uh, and she, so she screams. Mm-hmm. So now everybody knows where she's at. <laughs> and Norman comes down the stairs in basically his mother's clothing and a wig. Uh, and he's coming down the stairs to stab. He's got a big knife in his hand coming mm-hmm. down to stab her. And Sam comes down after him and subdues him. and. This is where Perkins loses me a little bit. Is <laughs> the performance after Sam grabs him? Mm-hmm. He's he's vocalizing in a way that is confusing to me. I mean, I don't understand why he's making the sounds that he's making. Like he's doing this sort of almost like a guttural, high pitched screaming, mm-hmm. and he's. His face is contorted, and he's held at a weird angle. Like, he's not on his feet anymore. Mm-hmm. Sam's, like, holding him. I don't think he's got him around the neck, but he's holding his, the hand with well, his... Well, he has one... He, he has him almost like a... In a almost like a health Nelson or something. Yeah. He's spreading his arms back so that right. he can't... The knife. He's right. keeping the knife away from him. But he... Perkins is... Yeah, he's, he's open... Like, his mouth is wide open, mm-hmm. and he's making this very... 
bizarre yelling, so screaming mm-hmm. that he's doing. No words. And something, maybe it's like that it goes on long enough that I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Nobody's making that noise for that long. Like, I don't know. Like something about it just like hit me weird. It's fine. Mm. I'm sure nobody else has ever noticed this. Um, maybe that's not true, but I was just like, I don't, like this is, why is he making that face and that sound? Uh, and then we fade. And that's when you were like, and the movie should be over now. And then we come back <laughs> and we have, it's long. It's a very it's long It's like scene. seven or eight minutes long. It, it's, uh, everyone is convened down at the, uh, the police station? The sheriff's station. Yeah, I think right. they're at the sheriff's station. And, uh, listening to a psychologist, Simon Oakland, sure. who's, who, is now going to tell us exactly what we just saw. We've yeah. already seen it. Yeah. Um, and this scene, actually, I was good with, because there was one thing I was like, I need to know if his mother committed suicide and killed her mm-hmm. her paramour, or if he did it. Like, uh, that right. is a and we piece find of that information that we want to know. She, he killed her. Right. Um, but... And I think they could have summed this. Maybe in 1960 you couldn't because there was there was so much this sort of cultural knowledge well, of yeah, psychology. But there was, yeah, there was a Stefano wrote in the psychology scene. He says or the psychiatrist scene because he, uh, I think either he or his wife was going through therapy at the time and began to find this really a fascinating yeah. kind of field. And and a lot of films in the 1950s and 60s did go in the direction of uh, let's see what the therapist has to say because. It was coming into its own as a practice for everyday people at the time. Uh-huh. But it was also a way of trying to explain this all to... This is, what have you seen? Right. You've just seen something that you don't understand. And also making sure that the censors are where we're not... We're not, right. First, and I, and I think this is good, and transvestite is a term that was used then. It was mm-hmm. in the DSM. We know that that is yeah. not a thing that exists. Um, and today it's a slur. Um, but that is what they, they very clearly say, that is not what has happened. So Norman killed his mother 10 years ago because he was jealous of her relationship with right. the man she was seeing. Uh, because up until then, he was the man in his mom's life. And there's a, there's a line, I think he says it to Sam. A son is a poor replacement. No, he says it's Marion. He says it's Marion. Yeah. A son is a poor replacement for a lover, I think is right. the phrasing, which is an upsetting sentence. Yes. Um, and then he was so guilty over that act, the, the matricide, that he mummified his mother's corpse. And the idea that they're saying is that he, his personality fractured and he was both people. Um, and the Norman Bates side believed that the Mama Bates side was real mm-hmm. and that he was not, it wasn't an illusion that he was having. He believed that to be real, which is why I got frustrated when they, he was talking, because they asked, well, why, why dress up there? Like, right. if he's not this thing, why would he dress up? And the doctor says, because Norman would do anything to keep the, illusion his illusion like to yeah to um sort of reinforce the illusion and i'm like 
you literally just said it wasn't an illusion? The answer to that question is, he is, because he keeps saying, he's like, he's not even Norman Bates anymore, mm-hmm. if he has been for the last 10 years. He is the persa- persona of the mother character. That is who he is now. Well, yeah, at this point, yeah, it seems like... Uh, she's taken over entirely. She's taken over entirely. It's like DID. Maybe they didn't know what DID was. I think this is early days. Yeah. And so the, the trying to figure things like yeah. that out, or trying to put those in terms that people could understand right. also. But, like... Don't say difficult. Norman made the decision to put mm. on the women's clothes to keep his illusion alive. You say because it was Mrs. Faith that those are her clothes. Interesting. And again, it's almost like they were representing the audience and the censors at the same time, trying to appease them both, is that he? we know that he's killed two people. Yeah. We find out from the psychiatrist that there are probably unexplained disappearances. Yeah. That There were two other women right. that they can pretty much tie, and then he says... Search your missing like missing person database. Right. And so we don't know how many people he's killed, mm-hmm. but the concern is, well, why was he dressed like that? Yeah. It's like, that's... The, that's wait, of yeah, all we the things all the he did, through this and then dug up his mother, Sam is like, stuffed her. What I don't understand <laughs> right. is... Dug up like, and stuffed his mother Sam. after killing her and her boyfriend. Well, there's, there's no, you know, other people killed off screen. Um... But you're really like, well, why was he dressed like I literally, because Sam asked that question, I literally had the thought, do you want to know that the, what, like, if the fact that you're definitely wearing women's underwear right now is going to make you a killer, is that why you asked that question? Because what? I Just think... apropos of, yeah, he's a killer, he's, right. he's you know, but... he's got some sort of severe personality disorder, uh, but I want to know why he put on a wig and women's <laughs> clothing, like because of any of the reasons I've already said, he's not well. Like, right. what are you <laughs> it, it always strikes me as funny that that's what he picks up on, like, but why? Like, why did he do any of this? Why is that? A, but I also understand that it was really important for Hitchcock and Stefano and everyone else involved in this to go no, to be very clarifying. He's not that. killing yeah. because. He dresses like a woman, and yeah. he's not even what you think of when I say dresses a woman. Right. Um, so, but again, whether or not anybody in the audience got that yeah, or just... Or cared you know, about it, right? Or, no, they or didn't. Or heard it. Like, if right. you're going to have a problem with it, Because we've heard about it both in this it. film, we've heard about it in Silence of the Lambs, yeah. and in both cases, these are both films that carry the stigma yeah. of, of furthering this stereotype. Yeah. Even though both of them went through great pains, in this case, well, just... Such great pains In both to cases, belabor this point. Is it great pains when it's one line? Well, okay. <laughs> it's two in Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. It's one in this one. No, but in this film, they go through this long explanation. Yeah, and but the long explanation. Yeah. I didn't. It's, I, feel I like felt people it was unnecessary. Um, and I think either they tuned out or they didn't understand what they were what? trying to do in the film. Uh, watching the young pair that were watching the, the, the film. Um, it's interesting how they liked that scene. Yeah. It was important to them. They said it had a very CSI kind of feel. That's true. Where they explained the true. psychology of the serial yeah. killer. And this is something that, because I don't watch a lot of this kind of television. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Right. Yeah. It, it's like, it's more tolerant because this has become uh, like a mark of the, a hallmark of the genre. That's true. At this point, is having these scenes where we explain the pathology yeah. of the killer yeah. and why they did that because that's, you know, interesting to people. But also, like, 
it's too long and it's too dry. And that might just be 1960. Like, we got to give you background. Mm -hmm. Like, now, no crime thing is going to talk about how to fingerprint. You just say, did you get the prints? And that's it. That's all we're going to talk about. And we've discussed it before, I think. Um, Moby Dick. Yeah. Yes. The novel, right? I don't need this many chapters on whaling. Right, but to an audience <laughs> reading this book yeah. who has no idea what a whale looks like and they see paintings of things with tusks and horns and whatever. No, no, this is a whale. This yeah. is what a whale does. Yeah. This is the eight kinds of whale, which always makes me laugh. That's eight. <laughs> and, big, medium, small. Right. Medium, big, small. Small, big, medium. <laughs> like, what is but, Yeah, they, they, they go, they, he has to explain what a whale is because people will think he's writing science fiction otherwise. Yeah. And so it's like that. It's like, well, it's called Psycho. We have to have some sort of explanation, explanation for yeah. this person and what they do. Yeah. And the fact that that's now a scene that you come to expect a version of this kind Might of scene. Might be from this, Much right. more integrated and yeah. often better done. We saw yeah. a lot, saw it done a lot better in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. But this was really not only early days, this is the very beginning like, of this. Like, I don't mind dry exposition, mm-hmm. but I mind dry exposition for five whole ass minutes when there is literally a man who is a doctor standing in front of me uh, giving a dissertation. Like, that's. Right. It, it, not they're, they're the best. To, but I think that like the blood in the shower and other things, there were concessions that yeah. needed to be made so this film could get released. And then the final shots mm-hmm. are Norman in a, in the sort of it, like maybe it's a interrogation room. It's like a holding cell it's or some something? Sort of, yeah. yeah, it's a room that doesn't have anything on it. He's sitting on a stool and we get a close-up of his face. That is often the image that people see from this, yeah. the still for him for this movie. And this is where I think the movie makes the biggest its biggest mistake. We get a voiceover. He's not speaking out loud. We get a voiceover of the mother. And at this point, the psychiatrist has said, Norman's gone. The mother is the, the personality in this body now. That's mm-hmm. just what it is. Um, and now they would say multiple personality or uh, dissociative identity disorder, but I, that might not have even been a thing at this point. Um, and his mother is blaming, it's the his mother's voice and he's blaming Norman, or she's blaming Norman for making these murders have to happen because mm-hmm. of his, you know, <laughs> urges and things like that. Now, this is all done in a voiceover with his face just in sort of a creepy stare at the camera. Which, which is really effective. Is, that is effective, yeah. but here's what needs to have what it should have been. He should have been saying it out loud. Even if they like did a thing where they ADR'd his voice with mm-hmm. the, the, the the female voice we've been hearing. But I actually don't even think that's what should have happened. He should have done an affect. Mm-hmm. Um, and he should have said it all because if this is, if you're telling me that this, this being, this human being in front of me that I'm looking at is now Mrs. Bates, there wouldn't be this voiceover that would just come out of mm. him. And yeah. so that's why I was like, like, and it's long, it's like maybe a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and about 15 seconds in, I was like, he should be saying this out loud. Mm. Like we should be seeing the full transformation of the character we've been watching into the alternate personality because we haven't seen that. Right. We saw him coming down the stairs violently and being, um, you know, 
being stopped by Sam, but you're not getting a personality in that scene. Mm -hmm. You're just getting sort of straight madness. Now we have him calm, sitting in a place that is safe. He, the, the psychiatrist believes he has switched entirely. We need to see that from the character rather than this creepy look and hearing what was happening in his head. Mm -hmm. Especially because, or not, the, and the other reason is because previously people outside of the inn or the house right. had heard them speaking to each other. So we know he does speak as her out loud. That's what we should be seeing at okay. the end. I think. Mm -hmm. And thus, I have made a better movie than Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> again, yeah, I, 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 again, I think that <laughs> I enjoy the ending of the film in a way. I understand what they're aiming at. Yeah. Uh, it's and, a very compelling final image for as long as right. it is. I will agree you with that. You see very faintly the impression of her face over yeah. his, her mummified face. Yeah. Um, and the last thing you see is the car being dragged out of the swamp. So yeah. it's like, well, we had to throw in, oh, in the very end. Also, they found that people. They're, they're going to find that, that money yeah. stuffed away. That was the thing, because they're like, well, where's the money? Right. And he's like, it's this wasn't about money for him. No, it wasn't. This was. Survival? Right. I don't, this isn't as weird the, as it can get. The, the destruction of the objects of his. Desire. Uh, yeah. Inappropriate urges. Because here's the thing, too. If you if you and your mother are sharing a body, mm -hmm. nothing sexual is going to be anything but horribly disturbing for both of you, mm -hmm. right? Like, you're, you've put yourself in a position where anything that is remotely in that realm mm -hmm. is disgusting. And the word disgust is very specific here. Um Disgust is an emotion, like you'll see in In and Out. Disgust, mm -hmm. um, and they, there's been studies on things like the more stuff you find disgusting, the more conservative you tend to be. Mm. Like very far right wing people find a lot of things actively disgusting. I find almost nothing <laughs> disgusting. Like that is a term that I'll apply to some stuff, but not in the true. Uh, causing of revulsion like mm. a lot of things I'm like yeah that's not for me but I'm not like well, yeah, physically I, upset again, by it it's like I can just not watch it yeah and that, that's or it not or take not part in it, in it. No, I don't want to touch that right. thing I don't want to eat that thing I don't want to see people okay well I just have to not look at it like it's not it's not I am not <laughs> physically <laughs> upset by these things because mm -hmm. all I have to do is not yeah, <laughs> that's all to, I have to do. This is something that you learn in self-defense. Just don't engage. Yeah, that's your first line of defense. Just don't be a part of it. Be aware of what's going on because right. you don't want to put yourself in any position where you're vulnerable. Right. But if you choose not to engage with people, that's that it gives you a, a distance emotionally. Yeah, where you don't have to be just sort of locked. Yeah, in with this other person yeah. or other people. Yeah, the, I mean, my list of things. I mean, and I'm sure. If, Mm -hmm. A huge long list was put in front of me. I would find some more things, but like things like any kind of sexual abuse on children, mm -hmm. grown people too, but specifically children, right. um, is 
that's where my disgust lies. Like, that's where I want to physically hurt the thing that mm. is, you know, that it is. But most things I'm just like, nope, just won't, <laughs> just won't engage or look at that. I don't, like I said, we were talking about Human Centipede. I don't need yeah. to see that movie. I am very glad that this man is allowed to make the movies that he makes and that the people who like them get to watch them. I will not be one of them. Mm, yeah. There was a while on Netflix where you couldn't say, hey, don't show me this shit anymore. And every time I went on, they were like, you want to watch Human Centipede? And I was like, Oh, there's, there's a couple of films that... And I've gotten to the habit now of, if I'm curious about a movie, yeah, especially something made in the last 20 years, I will look it up yeah, and look actually spoil the plot line for me, for myself, rather. Uh, so I can go, okay, is there something that's just going to, that's going to yeah. revolve? Because every once in a while something happens where I'm like, oh God, I didn't need to see that. There are, here's another way you can do that. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to spoil every, anything, right. go on to those parent groups or, or even in IMDB where it right. says, uh, you know, parent notes, mm -hmm. because they will list shit that definitely won't upset you. But they will also definitely list the shit that will upset you. Mm -hmm. So you might, you know, you're going to skip over the, you know, he says fuck three times or whatever. <laughs> like, great, fucking, I don't care. But, like, it'll also give you the, mm -hmm. the big things that you may not want your kids to see. Mm -hmm. And I see, the thing about that that is so funny to me is, like, they have these notes on things like the latest Disney film or other movies that are either PG or PG-13. Right. They also have them on things like Pulp Fiction. And I'm like, who's... <laughs> who's in here going, hey, is it cool if my eight-year-old watches Pulp Fiction? Like, I don't need a list of things that are in it. I can watch the trailer and go, no, yeah. it's not for kids. And also, why does your kid want to watch Pulp Fiction? I think you might be I think we, we well, I'm sure it has a cool poster, and if you have the poster up, they may want to sat through it, uh, a really brilliant movie, um, Pan's Labyrinth, and somebody had brought their four-year-old, five-year-old to see the movie, yeah. and they just figured... So terrified. <laughs> well, there's fairies in the movie, and she's learning Spanish in, in preschool, and you're like, well... Jesus. And then a man's head gets bashed in with a stone like for with 20 seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, it was a bottle. And then yeah. the fairies get eaten <laughs> by And then there's probably, a thing with hands right. in its, mm -mm, eyes in its hands. Well, no. Eaten by that. That's probably one of the more terrifying monsters I've seen yeah. ever. Yeah. No. Don't. Mm. Yeah. It's a great film though. Oh yeah. For adults. For adults. <laughs> Not for children. Even for late teens. Like you don't you, over four teens probably right. fine with Pan's Labyrinth. Unless you're a sensitive, which yeah, the raid, don't do it at all. The Raid is not a movie for families. No. <laughs> I love that that movie's called The Raid Redemption. There's not a damn thing that's resembled. Anyways. Uh, so, Psycho, did you think it was thrilling? I thought it was thrilling. I would, what about you? I think it was thrilling, for yeah. sure. I mean, it was definitely probably a 10 for thrilling mm. in 1960 and probably like a... 6.5 for thrilling for really? 19, for okay. 2003 because of the cultural zeitgeist because you know things about the movie well, going in yes. now the the people who went in and didn't know anything about it I want to say Gen Z right uh -huh. probably back up to like an 8.5 right because of the lack of specifically seeing 
any gore or anything like or or nudity for that matter when that's all you see in mm-hmm. current slasher films is right. gore and nudity like if they could get away with only putting boobs and blood on the screen i think that they, like, i, I right. do but um and since you don't get either of those things so, yeah, I guess it's just a difference, in, a generational difference, because it's like mm-hmm. movies are more interesting to me. Um, not if they have don't have boobs. I like boobs; they're very interesting to me. However, well, the, too many movies, especially in the seventies that you're watching, have boobs for no goddamn reason. Right, but the thing is, it also is something that that after a while just became oh, here we go again. Like why are we? I've commented on how many sex scenes take place with people slamming against walls. You know, it's, yeah, you hate that. Every time like, it happens, you're what? like, "Why are you doing that?" <laughs> I'm glad that a lot that of looks like it hurts. Right? I, I'm my my weird thing is I'm glad that postcoital scenes now mm-hmm. don't have everybody sort of artfully draped in a oh, sheet. No, no, the L-shaped sheets, which <laughs> yeah. is something that that uh, our old roommate used to talk about. Our, our roommate talks about Right, the man is covered right. to his waist and the woman is covered to her, like, her uh, breast. How, where do you get these L-shaped sheets? But also, like, it. just after you've slept with somebody, you're not usually, like, mm. I have to cover up. Right. <laughs> no, they've seen everything. That works. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very strange. But, yes, thrilling. And number one on our whole list. Yes. We did it. We did it. We 100 got all the way movies, it. sort of. <laughs> there were some dupes. Uh, I'm very, I'm glad we did this list. Mm-hmm. I am still frustrated that the AFI never gave us a goddamn dis- so definition. What is, what is our definition of thrilling? We're going to talk about that next time we hear from us, in fact. So we're going to take a couple of weeks off, and then we're going to put out an episode on the 31st of this month. That's the 31st of January 2024. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which makes me want to vomit a little bit. On the 31st, we're going to put out an episode wherein we are going to describe our own thrill list, the latecomers' mm-hmm. top thrill list. We don't necessarily have the number of films yet. We're going to have a production meeting beforehand. And the things that we're going to determine before we get on the mic next is, what do we mean by thrills? And then we're going to give you a rundown on the films we're going to do. And that's what we're going to do for the next little while until we figure it out what's after that. Okay. So we'll have two weeks off and take a break, listen to the old episodes. We did Stephen King and Thrills right back to back. So maybe we've got to do something like love stories. Uh, I don't think we have to do that. Uh, Um, We'll figure something out. But until then, we're going to go ahead and give us a break. Then we're going to come back and do an intro to our thrills list and give you the list. And then we're going to start that list. We're going to do countdown style, I think. We'll put them in order. 10 to 1, 20 to 1, 3 to 1. I don't know. We'll see what we come I don't think it's going to be 3. We'll see what we come up with and we'll give you that list next time you hear from us. Uh, Before that happens, do you have anything you want to recommend? I think it's the same thing that you might recommend. Let's know. Um, we saw this weekend, we saw... Oh, no, actually, there's two films we saw. So we saw not. Dose movies. We saw The Boy and the Heron. The Boy and the Heron. And the Heron, which is a, a strange film. <laughs> the movie ended and you're like, that was weird. And I just looked at you and I went, 
you've seen Miyazaki films before. So They're all weird. weird. It's fun, and I like the main character. It's very weird. Stop saying weird. I don't know if I should... Re- well, yes. If you like Miyazaki's work, this is another... It's another step forward for him. It's bizarre. I don't want to spoil it. Honestly, it's an animated film from Japan. Okay. It is a fantasy because all of Miyazaki's films are fantasy. Just go in with an open right, mind. That's it. Like I, I won't say anything uh, the else. The fact but... that you think this is so weird but Spirited Away is totally cool is wild to me. <laughs> the birds, I don't think the birds got to me. The birds got to, okay. God. I do. Not, I legitimately think that this is one of his less quote unquote weird uh, films. Okay. Honestly, uh, there's not a talking fire in this one. <laughs> There isn't a house that just walks around on its own. Like, but there's a there lot is a of... specific character that is very strange and specific... mildly upsetting, or more more than that sometimes. <laughs> but overall, I don't think it is as strange as a lot of his other films are. Okay, um, I just got very kind of wrapped up in how like this whole thing feels uncomfortable. The, and weird. the heron of the boy and the heron uh-huh. is. A situation. <laughs> we'll say that. But I don't, I mean, I, it's, I don't think, I feel like the way you're saying it is off-putting. And I, okay. I think it is a good movie. I think it is worth watching. It is stunning because all right. of his work is stunning. Um, yeah, they're just strange characters because it's a Miyazaki <laughs> film. And I don't know if you've heard, he makes fantasies. <laughs> That's the only way you could describe them. They are fantastical. And this one is fantastical. Okay, so what do you recommend? (laughs) I feel like I should just do that now because you're so upset. Uh, The second movie that we saw this weekend was the new adaptation of The Color Purple, a film based on a book I have not read except in excerpts. Mm And a film I have not seen. I've never seen the original Color Purple film. Uh, We went in on the 30th of December, sat down in our chairs. I knew that I was going to see a very black movie because all of the trailers had black people in them. It was fantastic. I was just like, like, look at all these films with black people in them. And several of them look amazing. amazing. Films that black people like. And it went on and it went on and it went on. It's like, okay, mostly black cast, almost entirely black cast, entirely black cast, Argyle. and then Godzilla. Oh, God. Godzilla? <laughs> the new Godzilla, the right. new legendary Godzilla, and then the uh, Argyle. Argyle, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which was... is, as far as I can tell, Romancing the Stone meets Mr. Wright done through the Kingsman's right. director's eyes. Weird. Like It no. is an interesting mashup. But we watched The Color Purple, and I did. I also did not know going in that it was a musical. If you don't know that, it's I'm musical. telling you now. It is based, actually, on the Broadway show, mm-hmm. The Color Purple, which I didn't even know existed. But fortunately, literally the first thing that happens is it tells you, in no uncertain terms, that this is a musical. Mm-hmm. There is singing and dancing. That's the first thing that you get. So it's like, oh, okay, we'll just settle into a musical then, which I need. Don't 
don't spring musical on me. It's 15 minutes right. in. I'm going to be like, what? Fuck this noise. It doesn't. Tells you right off the bat. It's, like I said, a lot of people love the original film. I have no connection to the original film. I have not seen the original film. And as of right now, I will not see the original film, largely because watching that much suffering mm-hmm. is not a thing I can do over and over again. Yeah. So I will not do that. It's but, too close to real life these days. Yeah, that's true. But this movie is beautiful. The performances are fantastic. I cried a whole bunch. <laughs> so if you like a musical that will make you cry, this is it for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, like I said, all the performances are so, so good. The other thing I'm going to recommend, though, is the other movie that we watched this weekend. We did it at home, which was Fruitvale Station. Oh, yeah. Okay. Another uh, movie about black suffering. Uh, the murder of Oscar Grant happened 15 years ago yesterday, as of the time of recording. We watched the movie, was it on New Year's Eve? Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the action the 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 day t- the the film takes place almost entirely on new year's eve the day of new year's eve and the the day that oscar had up until the incident coming off of the bart train if you guys don't know in 2008 oscar grant was killed by a bart police officer at two o'clock in the morning on january 1st coming back from the city uh at the time that he was killed he was um, he was subdued on his stomach with his hands behind his back. And the officer who killed him said that he thought he was he had a taser in his hand. There are... Thought that the officer... Okay, so... The, the, okay. Right. The, the, sorry. The officer that killed him believed that he was shooting him with a taser, not with a gun. Why you would shoot a man lying who's handcuffed? Yeah. And that close to you. Right. At point blank range with a taser is ridiculous to start with. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's one. And also, hey, a taser is bright yellow and you're obviously looking down Uh the barrel of this thing that you are about to fire. If it's not bright yellow, it's not a fucking taser. Anyways, he was convicted of, I believe, involuntary manslaughter and served 14 months in prison. But this is the story of the day leading up to it. This is maybe, and I'd have to do more research on that, the first extrajudicial killing of a black man that was caught on mass, like a lot of video. Like, people brought out their phones, their 2008 terrible phones. At the beginning of the movie, you see the footage. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the movie, you're seeing that footage again being played out. Right. Recreated. Fictional, fictionalized, mm-hmm. yeah, recreated. I had put, this movie is Ryan Coogler's first uh, whole film mm-hmm. uh, and uh, early Michael B. Jordan performance. It was made two years, three years after the incident. Uh, w- oh, it should be stated, we used to live three blocks off of Fruitvale. Mm-hmm. You you used to go to Fruitvale Station all of the right. time. I was at Fruitvale Station a few hours after this happened. Yeah. And uh, as I've shared with you in particular, uh, I used to go to the market yeah. where he worked. Yeah. And so I am absolutely, I, yeah. can't, I didn't he know goes, who he was. Yeah, we've been into grocery right. stores. I mean, this film was filmed in Oakland, right. so we knew all, and in, in our old neighborhood. So, so I knew. knew him without knowing him. Yeah. 
and later on found out that I became related to him through marriage. Through yeah. my nephew's marriage. Yeah, he your married nephew his married his cousin, yeah. And so it's like I was it was just strange being at the wedding and looking across the table to see people who were like, Why do I know that person? It's because and you saw it, them on right. the news, right? Um So yeah, it, it's that whole story gets very shocking and yeah. weird for me because I feel like we just lived in these elliptical orbits where we kept sort of yeah. passing each other all the time. Yeah. And this this movie came out like I said, mm. with 13 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, and I knew I needed to watch it, right. and I had not brought myself to watch it yet, because I was not emotionally ready, and then I realized it was 15 years, and I was like, I'm watching it this weekend, because this is the weekend to watch it, uh, and I was just like, well, he wasn't emotionally ready to die, so I can fucking right. suck it up and watch an 85-minute movie, uh, and it was great. It's very, very good, definitely worth watching. It is not suffer porn mm -hmm. it really shows the life of a young man who's trying to fucking just live yeah. just live he's it's his he's with his girlfriend they've got a beautiful daughter he's trying to get out of selling drugs he's he's gotten out of jail and he doesn't want to go back like he's just trying to live his life and he doesn't get to he doesn't get to because cops are fucking scared of everything um there was a police shooting, or not a, a shooting of a police officer, a fatal shooting of a police officer on the 29th of December this year in Oakland, mm -hmm. just after they had announced that they were boosting OPD presence in the city for the holiday. And I was like, great, we're going to have extra jumpy cops out this weekend. And I was like, everybody needs to stay home, especially if you're mm -hmm. a person of color. Do not go near any of these gatherings this weekend because there are going to be a lot of cops and all of them are going to be scared. Instead, we had a gathering here at our house. With a thousand foods. A thousand <laughs> foods and all of our friends of color. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Everybody's I was here. the only white person in this house. And you know what? Great. <laughs> there was a, the, one of the jokes made by one of the house guests was that they were told to bring mixers. Yeah, just everyone, alcohol mixers because we already had a ton of food. Everyone brought food, and one of the comments from one of our guests was, "Well, when you you tell any melanated guest, just bring something. No, they will bring food They'll because bring that's, food. that's what we do. That's, yeah, so. that's how they show love, and it's <laughs> so awesome. we're loved. I guess we, we are. <laughs> we are very loved. Yes, and grateful and." All we're eating for the next week is right. we're just going to graze. Eat we're just going to eat, <laughs> eat charcuterie, <laughs> cheeses, chicken wings. Right. Like that's what we're going to have, and it's and it's lovely. But yeah, they. I was just like, don't this weekend for cops are going to be dangerous. And again, I, I I feel very bad for the, the officer who got shot and for yeah, his family and everything. But sure. it's like from the other point of view, from the person who's been just hassled every single opportunity by yeah. police officers at every encounter really it's like yeah you get very weary of them also this makes me redouble my question on why why are there bark cops why are they armed bark cops they're not real cops like they don't have the right to do a lot of stuff that cops do they do it anyway and mm -hmm. they give them weapons and i'm just like yeah. What, why, what yeah. are we doing? I see them driving around the, t the... Like, they've got cars and shit. They'll just drive around the city, and I'm like, this is not a BART station. What the fuck are you doing mm. out here? 
uh, it bothers me. <laughs> Not more cops. Less cops is what I'm saying. So those are my two movies. Very black. Very good. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to only talk about black media this year, maybe. That'll be my... <laughs> I don't think that's true, but we'll find out. Uh, I think that does it for this episode. Thank you for sticking with us through our huge long list. It was yes, fun. It was. It was a fun list. There are some that I don't know why they were on here. Yeah. That's there were some films where I'm going, I don't understand exactly what the criteria are, as we've mentioned. Yeah. And then there were other films where I'm like, okay, I revisited this. This was actually really fun. Yeah. You know what I might want to do, too, for our next one is, let's look at our the hundred lists, of the, uh, the hundred that they gave mm -hmm. us. Let's make our top ten. Okay. Because they're not going to be the same as this top ten, no. AFI's top ten, and they won't be the same as each other's either. No, I think because we're be going to be looking at films. Uh, when does this list end? It ended in... Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, 99. Speed is 99. I don't know if there was anything newer than that. Yeah, but I think they missed a couple that obviously should be put on there, and there are also uh, films made since the list was completed yes. that definitely need to... Absolutely, yeah. But once we agree on what thrillers are, we can go from there. Yeah, first things first. Uh, we'll, we will see you on the 31st to talk about that. Uh, in the meantime, if you have questions, you have comments, any concerns, uh, if you have ideas for our post-thrills option, ideas, ideas, give us some ideas. I'm thinking about maybe actors, I don't know. There's a lot of thoughts bumping around in my head. We'll figure it out. But you can email those ideas to us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook. That's probably the quickest, easiest way to get a hold of us. Uh, until two weeks from now. One, two, until three weeks from now. <laughs> We're skipping two weeks. Whatever that is. Until then. <laughs> I don't know. I can't figure out how that math works. Uh, I want to remind you to take all of your medicine in the new year and beyond. And we like to remind you better, better late, late than, than never. never.